When I was uh, younger and I'd first given my life to the Lord, um, I remember... I remember the moment very vividly. Now, there were other moments in time where I felt the presence of God very strong. I, I look back on it. I didn't know it then, but I look back on it now, and I know that the Lord was calling me all through the course of my childhood. Uh, but I was, I was uh, in the mid to late teen years when I had this one just dominating moment in my life. I was sitting in the back row of this pew in between two girls who were passionately arguing about where it was we were going to lunch after the service was over. And just so you knew my state of mind, the only reason I was there that day was because of the two girls that were on the right and on the left and, and the lunch and the social aspect of it. But I remember during this one worship song, basically just seeing the gospel in song form and just had a moment where the Lord just touched me in a way that changed me forever. And I remember just weeping in the pew and going to the, to the aisle with the intent on finding a way of escape from this moment. I was headed to the bathroom, uh, to the stall. I was wherever I, in my mind, I don't know why I thought that was the place I needed to go, but I, I left in the middle of the song trying to get there. And I remember getting to the aisle and it was just as if God just kind of shoved me. And I just remember running forward, uh, just laying down at the front of the church and just weeping and crying and just surrendering to Christ. And, and I got up from that moment and, and I knew two things distinctively. I knew that the Lord was uh, God. I knew that Jesus Christ was the Savior. I just knew that in my heart. And I knew that I was going to be in ministry. I knew that I was going to be a preacher. I never really had that thought before. I didn't really know what that meant and I'm still figuring it out. But I knew that when I left that moment, I knew that and I began my relationship with God and I began following Jesus. And I wish that I could tell you that it was just amazing from the get-go. I wish that I could just tell you that, you know, the Lord knocked me off my horse like he knocked Paul off, and then I was just preaching to Asia and just doing all, and, and it, was, it was actually incredibly, incredibly difficult. I had a very, very, very hard time. Uh, the first, especially the first two years to three years of my relationship with God did not go so well there was a significant amount of failure on my end. And I felt like at the end of the day, I felt like I just was continually disappointing God. I felt like uh, that, that my every failure, that my every sin, there were still things that I struggled with. There were still some addictions that I struggled with. Uh, there were still some temptations that, that were so dominant and so strong in my life that I gave into on a regular basis. And I just continually went through this cycle of just feeling like there is no way God is thrilled. I feel like that, that, you know, it's like he used the first pick of a draft and picked me and just immediately regretted it. Like every Panther fan on the planet knows what that feels like 10 times over. Um, Cam didn't even go for the ball. Like he didn't even go for the ball. Do you remember the Super Bowl or one opportunity? We'll never see it again in my lifetime. He didn't even go for whatever. I'm over it. But, the, but that's how I felt with, with my relationship with God. I just felt like that he gave up Jesus, which I fully believed, but I just felt like 
that I was not earning my place on the team. I just felt like every, everybody in the game, everybody in the team, everybody in the church, God included, and Jesus, and everybody was just constantly disappointed in me and in my failures because I just could not get my act together. There was just a ton of pressure. And if I really look back on it, that's probably the word that I would use. There was just this pressure and just this burden that was on my back, just on my soul, and it just did not feel like, and it got so bad at several moments I felt like just kind of running away, not because I didn't, and this is just the truth. This is just me putting my heart out there. There were two or three moments in my life, even after I started preaching, I started preaching when I was very young, and, and that I just felt like running away. I felt like that was the thing to do, and I feel like at one point I even maybe even tried but it wasn't because I was choosing something else over Christ. It wasn't because I decided that I'd made a mistake. I felt like God had made a mistake. I felt like I had sinned too much. I felt like I had kind of cost myself the calling, like, like maybe I would make it to heaven, but I, I, just, that I, I just wasn't gonna be able to do this and, and God just got the whole thing wrong. And that's just the truth. I remember two distinct times in my life that pressure became so strong and so overbearing in my life and so overburdened in my life that, that I just, walked away. I basically just walked away from a while. Peter, in the, in the book of First Second Peter, he writes this idea that, that even believers and Christians can become so nearsighted that they can begin to live their life like they forgot that they were ever saved. And I went through that. Am I the only one that has ever gone through that? That's not something you want to raise your hand in church about, right? Some of you may be there right now. But that, that's, that's where I was. And and what I started to realize, though, was that though I was following Christ, the pressure and the burden and the guilt and the weight that I was carrying, that that was not of Jesus, that that was not the way that it was supposed to be. And, and several years into my relationship with God, he showed me this verse in, in Matthew eleven twenty five to 30, and he began to speak to me uh, and, and teach me and open up uh, my relationship with God. And ultimately, that, that's, if I look back on it now, what I, what I really see and what I really know is that I went into my relationship with God having no idea what having a relationship with God really meant. I had no idea what, what it was supposed to be. I had no idea the way God viewed me and no idea the, the way God intended the relationship to be. I just didn't really know the, what little church background I had. <clears throat> I know that you probably didn't have anything like this but the one that, that I had, there was a massive focus on hell, not going there, and on heaven and, and going to heaven. And there was a whole lot about not sinning, particularly three sins, not having sex in the backseat of cars was a big one for a couple preachers, smoking and drinking. I feel like everything else was open game. And I, I feel like that, that there was just a constant wait. I, you know, the student ministries that I was a part of, that's just what I heard week in and week out. Don't have sex in the back of cars, don't smoke and don't drink. And I was like, does this guy think that's the only place that happens? Because like, does it mean that it's okay if I go like not, in the car, but somewhere else is that I was confused. I'm like, is this guy have some kind of weird thought process on this? Why is he so fixated on this? There was just this overwhelming sense of, of don't do these three things, right? That's just what you scream at teenagers, right? Come on, parents. Am I? And I, and I just was like, okay, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't go to hell. And I'm going to heaven. And that's what I entered my relationship with Jesus with, just about all of it, no exaggeration. And so it took me years to understand that I had no idea 
what God's uh, thought process was towards my relationship with him and how things were supposed to be and how things were supposed to feel. And he started to unlock some of this stuff for me. And there's been three or four moments over the last, I'm 34 now, I was saved when I was 16. There's been, there's been several moments out of this scripture over the years that have, have fundamentally started to just change my life over the years. And so I'm gonna give you about five to seven years of, of stuff that I've learned from the scripture in like 40 minutes. Is that okay? Can I do that? Can I do that? All right, so I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read this to you and I, I want you to, to go into this with an open mind because verse 28 and 30 is what I would call a coffee cup scripture. That means that if you grew up in or around the church, that at some point in your life, you or someone you know has had a coffee cup with this scripture on it, in your cabinet and you've drank coffee out of it or at least had the t-shirt. That this is one of those very well-known, very uh, familiarized, even memorized scriptures. And the problem with that is we think because we know it and we've heard it that we actually understand it. And I want you to understand that, that the verses in 28 to 30, though they're very well-known and you're gonna recognize it quickly when we get there, that the power of this scripture is unlocked from 25 to 27. And so I'm gonna start with verse 25, Matthew 11, verse 25, because Jesus makes two significant declarations, two of which that he had never made up to this point, and that they're significantly important in understanding the call that he does give us in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, which is a scripture if you grew up in church, you're very familiar with. This is what it says in Matthew 11, 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Okay, so he, he makes this declaration and he says, at this time, all right, at this moment in this discourse or in this conversation, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. And these things, if you go through and you read the first part of Matthew 11, you'll realize and see very clearly that these things, the things that he's talking about are the things of God, the wisdom, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the things of the kingdom of heaven, the things of the kingdom of God, just the fullness of God's word, God's reality, God's power, God's spirit, the mysteries, the secrets of the gospel, all, all the words that, that the New Testament uses to describe the gospel of Jesus Christ and the things of God. That's the things that he's talking about. And he says that, that the father, and, 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 he even, and this is important because he says, I praise you, father. And, and, and you can translate it that way, but most of the time this word is translated, it's the idea of confess. It's the idea of fully consent or I fully agree with. Jesus is saying that I, I so agree with what I'm about to say. I so consent to what I'm about to say. What I'm declaring to you, I, I am so in tune with that father, I praise you for it. So Jesus is excited about this truth. He's excited about this, this thing that he's saying. And he said, and what he's declaring and what he's fully consenting to, what he agrees with and what he's praising the Father for is that he's taken these things, these things of the gospel, these things of heaven, these things of the, the word, he's taken these things and he's hidden them from the wise and the learned, but he's revealed them to the little children or to infants. And not only has he hidden these things, the things of the gospel from the wise and the learned and revealed them 
to the infants or the, the little children, it says, but that it was his good pleasure or that it was well-pleasing, that this made God happy. God the Father made him happy. And this is an important scripture because we don't get a lot of looks inside to the mind of the Father through the course. We don't, we don't get, you know, there's always those things that, that make you happy that might not make other people happy. There's things that make you just giggle, you kind of goofy, like, ha, ha, ha. Like the things that just make that you enjoy there, there's things that, that just that you enjoy that not everybody enjoys. And every now and then in scripture, we get to see something that God thoroughly enjoys. And one of the things that God thoroughly enjoys, God the Father thoroughly enjoys, is hiding the things of the gospel from the wise and the learned, but revealing them to the infants or to those who have not learned anything or to those who at least cast off what they think they've learned. This is, a, this is a significant declaration. And you have to understand, what is the wise and learned? What, what does that mean? It's referring to those people, especially if you go through and you read the first part of Matthew 11, it's, it becomes super clear. It's referring to every single human being on the earth who has learned how to live in this world according to the will and the ways of the world. It's those who have learned what life is about outside of knowing God. Every single one of us, we were born into sin and we were born into a culture dominated by sin and we were born into the world. We were born into this, this culture, into this modern age and every single generation in human history was born into this world and there was a culture that dominated the age. And everything that we know about life, this is, not, this is something that we don't really think about and we don't really consider on a lot of levels, but everything that you think about life, you learned it from something or somebody. Everything, everything, everything that you think life is about, everything that you think is valuable, everything, whatever, however you define success, however you, you, you view life and, and view the world and view what your goals should be, every, every, every way that you perceive things like marriage or finances uh, or careers, all of these things, these are things that you've learned. He says, this is what makes wise and learned people. And, and wisdom, just so that you understand what wisdom is, wisdom is simply something that is. It's something, it's a principle that is true and it's real, it's reality. And a wise person would then live their life based off that. Just to make sure we're on the same page, I'll give you an example out of Proverbs of heavenly wisdom, true wisdom. Proverbs says that if you gather uh, little by little, eventually you'll have much. It's just the idea of savings. If you, if you gather little by little, if you make a, a little bit and you save a little bit here and you save a little bit there, eventually you'll have much. This is something that is. This is just true. This is a principle, a philosophy that's real and true and you can depend on it. And so a wise person, if they would do that. They would gather little by little because they look at that wisdom and they say, that's a true principle, that that's real. And they gather little by little and then they save. That's all wisdom is. Wisdom is something that simply is. And what Jesus is trying to highlight in people's lives is that before you knew Jesus, before you followed Christ, before you got into the word of God and before you learned about life from the Father, that everything that you learned, every piece of wisdom that you picked up, every philosophy that you picked up, every way of life that you picked up, every perspective that you picked up of, of life, all of it was deeply defined and shaped and impacted by the world, by the culture, by the modern age, by the enemy, by religion, by sin, but shaped and impacted by everything except for God. I mean, have you ever thought about why you think the things that you think about the things that you think about? Think about that. 
Think about why you use the ladies, the shampoo that you use. You didn't just walk down the aisle and, and have some kind of weird manifestation and just were drawn to one. You watched some commercial where some model got on there and was like flipping her hair back. And you were like, if I wash my hair with that, I will lose 50 pounds and I will look just like that lady. Why, why do we think, think about the things that, that it, it impact us when we were younger? I, I know that this, you're gonna think I'm being dumb just for the sake of it, but do you know how impacted I was by the show Saved by the Bell for all my older millennials? Do you know how bad I wanted to be Zach Morris? And take that back. How much I was Zach Morris? <laughs> that my entire view of comedy, and like I went into school thinking school is a joke. Teachers are stupid. The principal's the worst one of them all. And my only job in school was to make people laugh, have some fun, and find Kelly Kapowski. But I found somebody hotter than Kelly Kapowski. That was good. That's, that was good. Uh, that was good. That was good on me. That was a good husband joke right there. But it's, it's funny, but it's for real though. I got up every single morning. They play, they play Saved by the Bell on every channel. All the, and I, to this day, oh man, I just realized this. To this day, anybody that's been going to church here long enough or knows me knows that one of my favorite things in the world is a blue jean jacket. Who else loved a blue jean jacket? Zach Morris. I just had a revelation right here live on stage in front of everybody. I'm even more impacted than I thought. I'm having a moment. I feel it. <laughs> but think about, think about what, think about the things that you think in life. Think about the careers that we choose. Do you know why? I mean, how, for like, I think it was like in the 90s, I read this article that said that in the 90s, almost every parent constantly told their kids from day one, when you grow up, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer. No one, half those kids, it ain't happening. But there was just this thought process that you needed to go, this is what, this is what the most successful, you know, financially stable, uh, well-respected, you know, these things that, that from were ingrained at an early age by the culture. By, think about how much music in, impacts us. Think about how much, the, I mean, think about even right now in our culture, how impactful just because somebody can dunk a basketball is leading a generation whatever way they think the generation needs to go. Think about how much influence, like I remember growing up, the, the amount of people that would take rappers and rockers to court because of the influence that they had over people who listened to their music. Remember this? Remember Slim Shady, anybody? I didn't memorize every single song that was on the Marshall Mathers LP and could sing it without the music, probably even still today, but I'm saying I'm a Christian, so I won't, but I can do it. Think about the things that impacted you. Think about the things that shaped you. Think about what, 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 what TV show, what part of the culture, what Instagram thought. Think about what told you what life was about. If you're older, think about, think about the, the, I don't know what was around back in the, I don't know, but just something impacted you, right? Something shaped you, something molded you, something told you. And what Jesus is saying is that's, what, that's the wisdom he's talking about and what he's learned. That's what he's saying. He's saying that, that when you're born in this world, we're born into sin, <clears throat> We're born into sin, that we have sin in our flesh, that sin shapes us, that sin, uh, sin shapes the way that we view the world. It, it shapes the culture that we're raised in, that we're deeply impacted, that the things that we value, the things that we say are worth, uh, the, the, things that, the way we define success, all of our perceptions, they're all deeply shaped and impacted by the world, the culture, the enemy, religion, and sin throughout it all. And so the heart of what Jesus is saying, he's saying up front, that, that the God, God the Father is pleased to reveal these things to infants or those who have cast off what they've learned so as if they've learned nothing, but he keeps them hidden from those who are wise and learned. 
This is significant. And then Jesus moves on from this moment to make a second declaration that's just as important. In verse 27, he says, now all things, all these things, these same things he's talking about in the verse scripture, all things that have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So he says, all those things, all those things of God, the things of the gospel, the things, the things, all of those things, they've been committed to me. They've been given to me. They're in my authority now. And he says, and no one knows me except the Father, and no one knows the Father except me, and those I choose to reveal them to. And so Jesus, is, he's about to show you in the next verse, the verse that's pretty famous, the verse that most people have heard of, the, the verse that most people are familiar with, He's about to show you and tell you, these are, these are the ones that I want to reveal them to. These are the ones I want to show them to. I want to take the things that God hid from the wise and the learned, but revealed to the infants or to the little children. All those things, they're now mine, and I can reveal them to who I want to. And he's about to make a call to the people he wants to reveal them to. But this is the thought that most people miss. He doesn't have to show them to the little children or the infants because God's already revealed them to the little children and the infants. So the only ones that these things haven't been revealed to are those who what? The wise and the learned. And so Jesus makes this call in verse 28, and he's making a call to the wise and the learned, but he calls them in a different way. This is what he says in verse 28. So come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he makes this call, he says, to all of those who are weary and burdened. And in the Greek, it literally says being burdened. So not just, it's a, it's a, it's a constant burdening. It's not just you were burdened once. It's a constant, I'm being burdened. So he, he calls out, this is, the, this is the heart of what Jesus is, is calling out to. This is the heart. He's saying that God hid the things of God, hid the things of the gospel, hid the things of the kingdom of heaven, hid these, these secret, powerful, mysterious things of God and the word of God. He hid them from the minds of the wise and the learned. But now Jesus is making a call, not to their minds, but to their souls and he's calling them weary and burdened. What Jesus is trying to get the wise and the learned to understand is that if they can look at the conditions of their souls and the state of their souls, that they will understand because they're weary and they feel being burdened down. They feel the weight of this life. Being weary means being depleted. It means, it means I'm giving, 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 but I'm getting nothing back. I have nothing left. The job's not done, but I don't have any left to keep going. I'm depleted. I'm weary. I'm tired. I've worked. I've given everything I've got, and I have nothing left, and I just feel like I'm constantly being burdened. He's saying you can look at the state of your soul and see the impact of what you learn from this world is having on you. He says, the things, that you, the things that you've learned, the way of life that you've learned, 
to live in this world by the ways of the world and the will of the world, to live by the enemy, to the, the, the wisdom that you've acquired, the philosophy that you've acquired, the way of life that you've, the way you've chosen to focus on certain things or the career that you've chosen and why you've chosen it, everything that you've learned from the world, everything that you've learned from the wisdom of the enemy, everything that you've learned and you've built your life around, he's saying the way that you can know it's not from me, is it's gonna make your soul feel unrested. It's gonna make your soul feel empty. It's gonna make your soul feel tired. You're gonna feel like you're being burdened. There's gonna be a constant pressure. It's gonna mean that, that no matter what you succeed, that you could be thriving according to the wisdom and the philosophy that you've picked up from this world. You could be checking all the right boxes and doing all the things, but at the end of the day, there's an emptiness in your soul. And this is, the, this is the heart of the call to those who are wise and learned because they think I already know what life's about. I already, I already know that th this is what we should focus on. This is what is good. This is what is valuable. This is what success is. This is the way life should be. This is our goals and this is what it should be. I've already learned what life is about. God says, I can't get into your mind, but if I can make the call to your soul and you can be honest with yourself about the condition of your soul and about the state of your soul and about the stress and the anxiety and the depression and the emptiness and the, the wariness and the depletion and the pressure and the being burned in your soul, then maybe you can see that the way you've chosen to live your life is not what you were meant for and it's not what you were created for and it's not my yoke because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you feel this heaviness and this being burdened, then maybe it's time for you to have a moment like the prodigal son had when he's sitting in the pigsty and he goes, hey, I know that I've chosen to live my life this way, but now that I live my life this way, I'm realizing it's not having the result in my soul that I thought it would. So I would rather go home and be a slave in my father's house than try to succeed out here in this world because even if I get it, I'm still gonna be empty. Do you know the, the curse of being young? The curse of being young is that you can be on the totally wrong path, be chasing the totally wrong things, but because you're young and there's still time, that you still think there's hope in the worthless things that you're chasing versus where when you're older, and you've chased them for a long time and you've even acquired them, you realize that there is no value in them. See, when you're young, there can always be hope that it will get better. But the older that you get, the more that you realize as time starts to run out, the more that you realize how wrong the things you've been focusing on really are. This is what society would call a midlife crisis. All right, everybody, don't point, please but everybody goes through them on all kinds of different levels. This is the moment where you, 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 you spend your 20s and your 30s and your 40s chasing what you think life is about, living by those wisdom, those, those, those philosophies, living by the stuff that you learn from the world and the culture, chasing it all, and you start to achieve it or you start to acquire it or you start to get it, but your soul's still empty, your soul's still tired, and you wake up one day and you realize everything you just gave the first half of your life to was pointless, and so you freak out. Some people handle it differently. Some people just, you know, get all their friends together. Some people start going to church, but most people just like drive to Vegas and marry a stripper. They just do some absolutely off the wall, crazy stuff. And everybody in this room knows somebody. And if you're sitting there and you don't know anybody, it's probably you. <laughs> but this is, this is, the, this is what the, the, the curse of youthfulness is that there's still a lot of things to try. And you think, I'm just gonna, 
if I could just get there and there's still hope that if I can get down this road, if I can get to the end of the path and I can fill this and acquire this and build this, then it'll, I'll, I'll find that and I'll feel restful and I'll be at peace and I'll feel like life has a meaning. I feel like life has purpose. And the, and the problem with older people is, is they're getting there, they're running out of time and they're starting to realize I'm on the wrong path. And so the, the call of Christ is he's, he's calling out to those who are lost. He's calling out to those who are in darkness. He's calling out to those who have given their life over and they're spending their whole life adhering to the philosophies of the world and to the culture. And he's saying, if you get to the moment where you recognize how weary you are and how empty you are and how tired your soul really is, and you, you realize that that overbearing, overburdened, stressful pressure that's on you in your life, that, that's that was never meant to be that way. That's not how you were supposed to be living. That's not the life that I created you for. He said, then come to me and I'll give you rest. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna take a second really fast to make sure that you know that's the call of Christ out into those who are still lost. To those, if you're in this room or if you're at home, if you're listening and you feel like that's you and you know in your heart and your mind that you don't know Jesus Christ. And as I'm preaching about a weary soul and I'm preaching about a tired soul and I'm preaching about an overburdened soul and you're even tearing up and you just feel this presence of God and you just feel this call, I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit calling you, give in to this moment. That's God telling you, that's God calling out to you. That's the call of Christ. If you recognize the weariness of your soul and you know that you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then don't go another moment. Do it right here and right now. You don't have to be in this room. You don't have to be up here at some special place. You can have a moment where God is everywhere. The spirit of God is with you. Do, if you feel that in your heart, do not leave this message today without making it right with Christ. Put your faith in him. Have a moment with him. You don't need me. You don't need somebody else. You, the Holy Spirit's already there calling you. Just surrender to that thought. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. But the problem is, that's for the lost, but the problem is, is that there's a lot of found people. There's a lot of people, you've really put your faith in Jesus. You've really started to follow Christ and you have been for some time, probably years. But as I'm talking about the weary soul and I'm, I'm talking about the pressure and I'm talking about this, this feeling of being burdened down and weighed down and, and not knowing you know, what life's really about and you still feel this, this tiredness, this depletion, you're still giving everything you got and you have nothing left and you're confused because the promise of the gospel is that in your relationship with God that his yoke and his burden is easy and light and that he promises rest for your soul, not in some distant future, but he promises rest for your soul right here and right now. So you're sitting here this morning, you're sitting in life group or house church this morning and, 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 you're, and you're going, I know that I'm a Christian, I know that I'm saved, but as I hear you talking about the weariness of my soul and the feeling of, be, of being burdened and, and, the, and the pressure, I feel like I'm missing something and, and I wanna, I, this is the message to those of us who are found and still feel like this, it's because you have not, you, you, you've taken the yoke of Christ and you've put it on, but you have not yet taken off the yoke of this world. That this, this was why the first two or three years that I walked with Jesus was so difficult and so, so, so hard for me because I did not realize, and this is, there's three things that Jesus knows and that God knows 
about us and about our relationship that we tend to forget or maybe don't ever know to begin with. And the first one is that God knows how much we have been shaped by sin and by this world. This is why the call is this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus gets in the game and he knows who you are. He knows the struggle. He knows. He, he, he wasn't deceived. It's not like on Zillow when they make a crappy looking house look amazing and you show up and you're like, this is not even the same house. You were like, well, it's Photoshop. You just Photoshopped a mansion on the lake into this dump next to a sewer. Jesus wasn't tricked. He knew who you were. The reason he died for you is because you were lost in sin. It doesn't matter if you were five years old when you were saved, 15 years old, or 55, or 105. It doesn't matter. The, the truth is, is that you were shaped by sin. The culture told you how to live. Jesus got in this understanding that you were a work in progress. He knew that you were lost. He knew that you were a sinner, and he got into it. And his invitation is, come to me, and I'll give you rest, and then you'll be perfect the invitation was, come to me, I'll give you rest. Take that yoke off, put this yoke on, and then I will teach you how to live in this life and how to live in this universe that my father created. He recognized that there was a significant amount in your life that you would have to unlearn. He recognized that there was a ton in your life that you would have to learn. That's what he signed up for. He knew what he was getting into. And sometimes we have to understand that when we come to Christ, that we spent five years, 15 years, 25 years, 50 years in this world, that this world raised us, the culture taught us about life, that sin shaped and impacted us. And there's a significant amount that we have to unlearn and then learn again from Christ. And the problem is, is that what I struggled with, I struggled with trying to keep both yokes on. I struggled with, this is what I value and this is what I think life is about and this is what I think purpose is and this this is where I think it should go. But then Christ was trying to teach me and I struggled to let go. I struggled to unlearn. I struggled to cast off. I still wanted to live my life in the same direction things were going. I just wanted Christ to come along for the ride. But that's not the gospel and that's not a relationship with God. That's why so many people struggle with so much pressure and stress and anxiety in their relationship with God because we, haven't, we, we struggle to unlearn and let go and let God teach us. And the second thing is, and, and I, I want you to understand this, this is important. Just like Jesus knew, he knew you were a fixer-upper. He knew you were a work in progress. He also knew that you were set free from the power of sin, but that the presence of sin is still in your life. This did not catch Jesus off guard. There's never a scripture, there's not a single scripture that, that Jesus saved somebody and then they started to sin and Jesus was like, wait, what? No. In fact, it's the polar opposite. Why do you think Jesus loved hanging out with sinners so much? He hung out with sinners so much that the religious people told him that he was possessed by a demon because he loved hanging out with sinners so much. Because Jesus if he's hanging out with you, he's hanging out with a sinner. He, 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 he's not caught off guard by this. And this, this pressure that we put on ourselves, this is the yoke of religion, that we put a perfection on us and we feel like there's these rules and these things that we'd have to adhere to and that as we're going, we, don't, we are not aware that there's this learning process. 
of learning how to follow Christ and learning how to live in righteousness and learning how to be holy and learning the wisdom of God and learning to be able to live in power and learning all these things that we, we don't know there's a process. We get into it and think, man, I just need to be, I'm, I'm been set free from the power of sin, so I don't need to sin. And so when you get this yoke of religion on instead of the yoke of Jesus, there's just this overbearing burden constantly and we just feel like we're constantly disappointing God. We just feel like we're constantly a failure. We just feel like we're never gonna live up to it. And sometimes there's so much shame and so much condemnation that we place on ourselves or that religion places on us that we feel like we're just gonna walk away from the whole thing because we'll never live up to the standard. That's not the gospel. Jesus got in the game and said, my invitation to you, part of my relationship with you is that you would drop the yoke of religion, drop the yoke of the world, and that you would follow me. And as you follow me, I'll give you rest for your souls and I'll teach you along the way. Jesus was super aware that this is a process. In fact, the third thing is, is that it's not only a, a process, that's the plan. That's the way God intended it to be. Multiple places, and one of my favorite ones in scripture is when he says, you take this, this treasure that we have in the gospel and he puts it in jars of clay, our flesh body. And he says, we take this treasure, we take the power of the gospel, we take the Holy Spirit and we put it in humanity and God says, we do that so that everybody knows that it's God and the power of God that was in their life. If you knew me when I was younger, I promise you, you believe in God now if you didn't because who I was and who I am now never could have happened without the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. We feel like we're gonna get, that when we get saved, that all of a sudden we're just gonna be like parting the Red Sea, raising the dead. We don't even have to go shopping anymore. We just start manifesting bread everywhere. That it's just gonna be this all around, no sin, perfection, change the world. That is not the process because the Bible literally says, if that was the way it was, then you would reap the glory, you would take the glory and you would take it away from God. And God says, I put treasure in jars of clay so that as you learn and you go through this process, that the world around you and even you yourself would constantly be in awe of who I am and how good I am to you. So th this, this process is part of the plan. And all week, all week long, I've, I've, I've prayed for the Lord to give me, how do, I, how do I end this message in a way that they can get the heart of what Christ is really saying? Like that this rest for your souls when it's coming to learning from Jesus and it's coming to righteousness and it's coming to the way of life, what our relationship is supposed to be in a restfulness, that it, the, the, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And I, I prayed all week long, God, God, give me, show me how to finish this in a way that we can just see it and just bask in it. And God gave it to me last night. Yesterday afternoon, um, my sister-in-law just got a new place uh, and her father was coming over and I, and and. And so me and Courtney and the kids, we went over there and they're, they're renting a little place from uh, good friends of ours. And, and we were in the house and we were watching it. And, and Hudson, as soon as he got there, Hudson's my, he's four years old. He's my, he's my mini me in every way, shape and form for the good and the bad. I feel bad for the kid. He doesn't get away with nothing because I can read his mind. I know what he's gonna do before he does it. But he gets there, he hops out of the car. Every time he's over there, he just hops out of the car, he starts chasing chickens. That's all he did for hours. He just chases chickens. He picks them up, I got a chicken, and he throws it, and then he starts chasing them again. And I was inside spending time with, with them, and you know, it had been a little while since I'd seen Hudson, so I just wanted to walk outside and make sure he wasn't picking a fight with a bear or something. And, and I walked down the hill, and I walked up, and when I walked up, he was wrestling, 
uh, James, his JP son, and he's, uh, he, they were legit wrestling, like, you know, like wrestling, like put you on your back, you know, one, two, three, you wrestle. And, and they were going back and forth. Well, I, I've realized real quickly, they had been training James. He was a monster. He was technical stuff and he was doing, and he was just beating the snot out of, out of Hudson. It was kind of funny. And, and, and Hudson was, he was just getting put on his back and he was trying his best, but he just didn't understand what to do. And, and, and so the, the Courtney and JP were standing up there and just looking at him and, and just, you know, just watching. I'm like, well, I'm gonna go give him some pointers. And he's just, you know, he's just getting pummeled over here. And so I, walked around, I was like, Hudson, you know, it's a game, buddy. The whole thing, is, he's putting you on your back. Don't just wiggle. I was like, get out of it. Put him on his back. I was like, that's the whole one. I gave him a few pointers and they, he got up and they went at it again. It was a little better, but James just stuck him back down on his back real fast and knocked him out. And, 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 and I got, gave him some more pointers. I said, Hudson, it's like this. I said, brace your feet like here. I said, stop putting your hands in here. Like, what are you doing? What is this? And I said, put your hands out here, grab him. I said, throw him down. I know some of you are never gonna come back because I let my kids wrestle, but whatever. And, and, I give, and he does a little, it does a little bit better, and he, but James gets him down again. And then finally I come up, I give him a few more, and I said, this is a game. I said, it's okay. I said, just slam him down. I said, you got this, y'all are tough. And so Hudson goes up there and he, they, there was like, you ask Courtney, there was like this, this Hulk rage, just Hulk's his favorite character right now. And he was just like, Rah! and he just comes up there and they start going and he puts James down on his back and he's, and he's just, oh, he's victorious. And he stands up, I start celebrating, I'm so excited. He lost like 37 times in a row, but this one time, like I was so happy for him and I was excited and I was giving him five and I was celebrating and I just celebrated him. I was just truly, I was so excited that like he, he learned a little bit and he got him a, he got him a W in. But I said, now I just wanna be clear. He lost more times than I could exaggerate. Like he, he got stomped. Like that's, that's the, the truth of the, this whole situation. But the way that I celebrated his victory, his one out of 37 victory, that night going to bed, he told his mama last night, he said, daddy said I was a champion. He said, daddy was proud of me. And he said, I, I did good today. And, I'm, and I just, when Courtney came and told me, it broke my heart. But I felt like the Lord just immediately said, that's the way I view you. Like you can lose 37 times. But he says, listen, the call is take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's gentle and humble in heart that he's coming and he's saying, hey, good try, right? You didn't do it, but this is the way you need to do it next time. And this is the way you, you need to go. And then you get knocked out again, you fell again, you sin again, you walk in unrighteousness, you, you have a, you know, you, you make a dumb decision, you go, he doesn't, he comes in, he picks you up, he dusts you off, he loves on you, he gives you some advice, he tells you and makes you strong and he goes back. And then when you win, he celebrates you like you're the champion of the world. Like, like it's like when, when, a, when a kid's learning to walk, you know, Eden, my little daughter, she's learning to walk and she, she, she's running around now, but she was going through, she was a little bit later than the rest of the kids learning to walk. And, and she, she, she started going and there was a time she finally made that moment where she had that step and she took a step and I remember took another step and she fell down again. She took like one and a half steps, but we erupted in, in excitement. This is the thing that it's not like when she, when she stood up 
And like, as she's starting to take steps and she falls, it's not like we go, all right, that's it. You had your opportunity. You had your chance. You didn't do it. Like kick them, put them in a box, send them to the system and be done with them. Like, well, maybe, maybe we'll get a good child next time. No, what do we do? They fall down 99 out of hundred times, but the only one we remember is the one time. And we teach them how to walk and we're patient with them and we love them. And the Bible says that we're wicked and evil, but we're still pretty good parents at times. How much greater is God as a father to us? That this is the, this is the heart of, of the, the way our relationship with God is supposed to be, is that he's, he, Jesus is aware. He's aware you got a ton of struggles. I know that's why I had to die on the cross. If you didn't have these struggles, then I wouldn't have had to die. And I know that there's a lot you have to learn. And I know that there's a lot you have to unlearn. But what I want you to know is that as you're learning from me, and as you take this yoke upon you, take the yoke off of religion, take the yoke of this world, the yoke of the culture, the yoke of all this other wisdom, you throw that off as fast as you can because my relationship with you right here and right now, it's one that will give rest to your soul. And it's supposed to be easy and it's gonna be light. It's gonna be enjoyable as I teach you. That's why Romans 8 says there is no condemnation. There is no more guilt. He took the guilt on the cross. That's why he comes alongside you and he picks you up and he teaches you. It's supposed to be restful. He loves us. He's patient with us. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus and you feel the weariness and the overburdenness of your soul, then give your life to Christ. Accept the gift of salvation that he's freely giving you. But if you are a believer and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you still have the weariness of your soul and, and the burden, there's a strong possibility that you're still trying to pull from this old life. You're still trying to keep the ways of the world in you. And you probably got this yoke of religion on you. There's supposed to be freedom. There's supposed to be peace. There's supposed to be joy. There's supposed to be rest for your souls. That's the promise of the gospel that in your relationship with God right now, there's rest for your souls. So as we go to worship in just a few minutes, if your soul is not rested and you go in your relationship with God, you just feel like there's a lot of guilt, condemnation, pressure. You just feel like there's a lot of disappointment. You just, that's not the gospel. That's a yoke of religion. So cast that off this morning and celebrate because God loves you. God doesn't kick you out when you fail. God doesn't kick you out when you fall. God picks you up and he teaches you. And when you do have a day of victory, he celebrates you because he loves you. Amen. All right, let's stand.